this Azuki <laughs> riled me. Now, if you are oh, new to this Oh, wait a second, space, wait a second. I don't get riled The as normally well. unflappable Luke Franks has got a gripe. Yeah. He's riled up, people. We're going to talk about an entire country that wants to digitally clone itself before it sinks underwater and vanishes forever. This is absolutely mad. 40 of the highest rolling CSGO skin traders have been rumbled and about $2 million worth of skins have essentially been turned to virtual dust. If that doesn't make any sense to you, we'll explain what that means as well. Naughty boys and gutted probably right now. When it comes, it comes Mark your calendar. Big. This was the day. On this day, on the day that the beans dropped, Azuki... Luke Franks was broken forever. Okay, we're back again uh, and another set of stories that are suitably mad and crazy uh, in this world. Um, we're going to talk about an entire country that wants to digitally clone itself before it sinks underwater and vanishes forever. Actually true. Uh, the US video game and esports industry made $54 billion last year and it's going to add $20 billion to it this year. We'll go through all you need to know from a big report that just came out on that. Also... This is absolutely mad. 40 of the highest rolling CSGO skin traders have been rumbled and about $2 million worth of skins have essentially been turned to virtual dust. If that doesn't make any sense to you, we'll explain what that means as well. Naughty boys and gutted probably right now. Gutted. Yeah. Those things trade for for mad money. Mad exactly. money. Exactly. It's crazy. Uh, and there's a whole dark sort of part of the internet that we'll get duck, into. Duck web. Duck web. Yes, indeed. Um, Adidas continue their journey into Web3, although I find it all quite confusing, so we'll break that down. And Azuki, another NFT collection, drops another series to it and I think completely messed it up. Oh man, the, the, isn't it so fascinating? There are so many different entry points to the Metaverse story and this episode, I think, covers the complete spectrum. It goes from like a tiny island nation to like a ridiculous tiny nation of anime fans. I mean, it's, it's insane. This is this is the yeah a whole uh, sort of complete view of what is going it's on a in buffet. this world. It's a, it's buffet. a metaverse buffet served it's... up by Franks and Schmidt. Let's get into it. <laughs> and it's, it's all you can eat. This story then is interesting, kind of sad, but definitely something we've not seen before. So I'll set it up for you. Um, there is a tiny island nation kind of near Fiji and Tonga. It's called Tuvalu. It looks like a paradise island. But because of rising sea levels, it's genuinely about to disappear. The first country to kind of vanish forever. So it was inhabited like 3,000 years ago. Uh, there's a lady in this article who grew up there called Lily, who says that whenever we go for a picnic, especially at the northern and southern ends of this beautiful island, we always notice that a piece of land has been washed away by the sea. So this is really happening, which is wild. Um, they have a whole kind of strong culture there, really traditional values to be like living off the land and living in this big community there. Um, but most people are being forced to leave because it's sinking. So... Uh, to protect their history, the culture of this island and the stories for future generations. And they are becoming the first sort of nation to genuinely want to create a digital twin of the island so that their kind of values can live on and the people there can interact with each other in a digital world and keep this culture going. So it's going to be recreated through kind of satellite imagery and drone footage uh, that will be so detailed that it'll be able to kind of capture the grains of sands and the direction uh, that the current of the water is going. But interestingly, part of it is to rebuild this in kind of virtual reality so you can go and experience this place before it disappears but also to kind of continue uh, the next generation living there. So they're even going to move kind of the government online into the cloud so that they can continue making decisions about this nation so it can kind of live forever. Uh, and yeah, it's going to be the first sort of digitized nation in the metaverse. So this is obviously a big idea, wild, but it's very real as well. So it's, it's pretty crazy, right? Obviously, there's a, a broader story here, which is about global warming. 
And the the challenge of rising sea levels with these remote islands that are in the middle of nowhere, and this isn't the only archipelago, if that's what you can even call it, that's under threat. Obviously, the Maldives are suffering from the same thing. Singapore is obviously also concerned about this. And it's a fascinating part of the world because these islands are completely separated from each other by huge stretches of water. But the culture of the islands was about getting in a boat, going a long distance over water and trading with other island territories. And they would fight, but they would also trade and barter. And they had these incredibly rich, detailed economies that were based around bartering and trading items. And those items always carried with them a story. So it's a very story-driven, very culturally-driven part of the world. And it's difficult to, to wrap your head around why that's important, unless you've kind of been there and seen it for yourself. But those that oral tradition, the heritage, where they've been and, and where they've come from is incredibly important to these people. So losing it means a lot. Um, so you have this, this idea of displacement. And I think that word has been coming up a lot in terms of jobs and AI at the moment, but this is physical displacement, you know, geography. So a lot of people who were living in Tuvalu have moved to New Zealand because that's kind of the nearest, safest place to go to. And they really feel like they're disconnected from their heritage and their roots. And what we're talking about here is the ability to create a kind of proxy version of the original island. If it disappears into the sea, it can still live on. And it doesn't just live on as a kind of museum item where you can just go in there and see what it was like and, and go, oh, wasn't that quaint? No, they actually want to preserve the nation state of Tuvalu, but as a displaced entity. And this is a really fascinating con conversation because, you know, you can have a diaspora, which is when people leave the country of their birth, spread throughout the world, but they retain the cultural heritage. They retain the rituals of the life they left behind wherever they are. Uh, we talk about the Jewish diaspora, like Jewish culture is very well preserved wherever, you know, Jewish set settlements appear. This is the same kind of thing, but doing it digitally. And the best kind of comparison I can give you for this is the country of Estonia. Estonia is a fully digital country. It is embraced blockchain. They, they have this thing called e-residency. You can open a business in Estonia very, very easily as a foreigner. This is basically that. They're, they want to preserve government, preserve the society and the identity of the country, even if people are living completely displaced throughout the world. This is a really big idea. And it's one that um, Balaji, uh, who's the same guy that did the failed Bitcoin bet um, in the face of overwhelming inflation, you know, saying that Bitcoin would get to a million by, I think it's like in two weeks time or something. And this, he, he wrote a book called The Network State. And he, he was kind of proposing the idea that groups of people gathered around a single unifying point of action or an idea could form a nation state or a network state that was completely distributed. And I often think about this in terms of someone like Mr. Beast. If Mr. Beast suddenly said, I'm going to start my own country, would he succeed? And the answer is he probably would. And he would, and he would end up with a country that was probably bigger than quite a few of the small countries that we think of, like the Vatican, for instance, or Liechtenstein. The state of Mr. Beast could quite easily be spun up as a distributed network state and be pretty effective I think as well, that is where I think things are going. Like I would love to sit down in a room with Mr. Beast and, and propose him that idea. Have you ever thought about the, the nation state of Mr. Beast? Because 
it would actually be possible. He has a big enough and large enough distribution of, of fans and followers to do that. But again, you know, Tuvalu is not the only country under threat like this. Many others are. And so I guess what we're looking at here is a blueprint in real time for how you preserve the culture of these countries that will just disappear into the sea. You know, if we look at Mayan temples and the Nazcar lines, we can physically see the remnants or the history of ancient nations, ancient civilizations. But if stuff sinks into the sea, it's a lot harder to look at that and preserve it and understand it. So once it's under the water, it's it's kind of gone. So yeah, it's a really, really profound change of, uh, in this idea of like, I, I am not where I live. I am, I, that's not who I am. I am who I am, regardless of where I live. And I think when we talk about the metaverse and existing in digital worlds, virtual worlds, your identity and who you are needs to be anchored in that way in order for you to become a true metazen and be able to travel and retain the sense of self despite all the different characters you might inhabit in these virtual contexts. Big ideas. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the conversation around the metaverse is, is often focused on video games and having fun in Fortnite and, and whatever. But yeah, there is a much bigger idea here, which is, is pretty crazy about what, you know, where do we really exist? And as we move into digital, you know, uh, stuff, what's, what's more valuable to us? Very quickly, describe the nation of Mr. Beast, what that might be like. I'd be so interested. So, uh, how would it, could that ever be a reality? In what way would that actually Listen, work? The, the fact is that all the time I've spent in kind of Web3 and crypto and everything else, has taught me that there is there's a massive fragility to the things that we took for granted, the the powers that be are, are desperately trying to kind of anchor in place and preserve. And I think what you find with with Jimmy, for instance, is that he's so hell bent on competing and doing things that I find it inevitable that at a certain point he's going to go. I've done YouTube. He wants to do Netflix. Yes, he'll do Netflix, but as, you know what is the big thing that he would like to conquer and it will be politics it will be how can i make a splash or control a narrative or take the thing that i do and turn it into a political end game and it for me it would make so much sense to launch the nation of mr beast around a common set of ideals and to be honest with you why shouldn't he like why shouldn't he he has organized a community around the fact that he has fun, he does good things, and he thinks big. I mean, that's all you need, really. So what would that what, practically be like? Like you, you're talking about what, like a virtual world where people go to to go and live by his rules type thing? Well, it's probably it's probably not it's probably not the moment to to, to dive deep into yeah. the network state itself. Like Balaji's done tons of podcasts. He did he did a whole bunch of these talking about it. And it is fascinating. It's all it's all up in the air at the moment. But when I heard him talk about it, it was very much like who would, who has the, currently has the dis distribution and scale and the charisma to pull off something like that. I was watching the Arnie documentary on Netflix and looking at the way he went from bodybuilder, bodybuilder to actor to politics. And he just single-mindedly went after it and made it happen, bent the world to his will. Mr. Beast feels eerily similar to that in, almost no ways at all except for that kind of driven kind of quality of just going after what you want um him and the rock i reckon are the yeah ones he, well the rock is the rock does it in a different way arnie arnie was a bit more like i'm i'm going to get you now you know you made it happen <laughs> um so yeah so I, I think the state of mr beast would be a very interesting thing uh and i think it's very likely to happen as well 
Okay, let's dive into this next story then. This is a, a big kind of esports and video game report that PwC put out, which sounds boring on the surface, but there's lots of good stuff in here. So the headline of this was that the total US video game and esports revenue last year was 54.1 billion. Looks like it's going to reach 70 billion uh, this year. This was from the Games Beat Summit, which happened last week. And I think it's important to know about this just in terms of thinking about the next dominant category of entertainment, which is already gaming. Gaming is the biggest entertainment um, industry on the planet. More people are coming in, more sponsors are coming in, it's maturing. Um, and yeah, that just continues to grow. Interestingly, the lady in this report was talking about esports starting to look a lot more like traditional sports in how they're set up. So yeah. she said kind of in the esports breakdown, you have streaming rights, you have sponsorships, you have live experience and ticket sales. And it's, it's looking a lot more like the juggernaut that is just traditional sports. Interestingly, I always think this is a good stat. The average age of a US gamer is 33. We have in our heads that, you know, gaming is a thing for, for younger kids, but that just isn't the case. Last year, 2022, social and casual gaming revenue was uh, in the US was 37 billion. So it represented 68% roughly of the total kind of market up from last year. Um, traditional gaming, just playing through story games and that kind of thing uh, is on a slight decline, which sort of is interesting because it all speaks to humans who fundamentally love games but love games with each other and this whole metaverse vision about it very much being social is a big part of that and then the last thing there's lots in this report and i'll link it but this was interesting apple have started to become a big player in the mobile mobile gaming space uh so apple's iphone overtook google android to claim the largest number of users uh, apple's active installed base claimed 50 percent of the total market the nintendo switch was the biggest selling console last year and the ps6 looks like it's coming out Maybe 2027, Nintendo might put out a new console this year even. So loads of stuff in there, but quite a lot to talk about and uh, stuff that isn't immediately obvious, I think. What what would be interesting is to break down mobile gaming versus console versus mm. PC. Because I, I think what's always interesting when you look at those numbers is like the, the biggest kind of category is housewives playing Candy Crush and Words with Friends. And you always yeah. like, I'm so what? Because you think of like, you know, Twitch streamers, Fortnite and CSGO and these kind of things. But actually, so much of the market is made up of of housewives, <laughs> weirdly. So those numbers, it's, it's always interesting to break down um, all of that and, and get into it. I was interested by the esports one as well, because I, I had mentally understood that esports was in a bit of a rocky patch. There was a huge amount of excitement about it. League of Legends, obviously, huge esports game. and I think a lot of the teams that had spun up had sort of maybe over, like grown too quickly and started to get into a little bit of a sticky spot. Um, again, like the pandemic skewed everything. So I really mm. don't know how how things have changed since that point because like, everything... There was a big boom then, obviously, and then it kind of retraced. Yeah, and, and also a lot of investment. So like I'm, I'm thinking about 100 Thieves that was valued. Let me get the number right here. Somewhere in the region of like 450 million uh, at its last investment round. Like, forget how much they raised, but like 450 million for an esports brand, that's chunky. That's really, really chunky. Um, I don't know what the multiple is on their revenue is there, but that, that, that feels somewhat out of whack with reality right now. And also, you know, if you, I don't know if you've been following, but Kick, which is this new competitor to Twitch just offered up the most jaw-dropping contract to XQC, who's French-Canadian Twitch streamer, plays Overwatch. And they, the, it's, 
it's allegedly a two-year deal worth $100 million to stream on Kick. It's kind of like the Joe Rogan Spotify moment, right? It but it, like but it's, worth, it's worth just kind of doing some comparison here because if you think that quote, how esports is becoming more like traditional sports, we, you know, you covered gaming in the Olympics. It would be very hard to wrap your head around that even like five years ago. We don't mm. think of gaming as an Olympic sport, but of course, hand-eye coordination, what's the difference between firing a bow and arrow and you know, knocking off people in Fortnite? There's a similar kind of thing. You just sit down while you're doing it. Um, but LeBron James, he moved to the LA Lakers for $97 million. And this is a Twitch streamer um, who is going for $100 million. And the thing about a Twitch streamer, it's very unlikely he's going to get injured. <laughs> so, True. But, but also, you wouldn't career. expect LeBron James to play seven days a week, which I suspect XQT will be very much required to do. So, I mean, if you're in that position and you, you get that kind of deal, you do your two years, and you pray you don't burn out, and then you stop. I mean, mm. I, I just think it's insane. Um, the level of kind of pressure on streamers is well documented and the, the level of pressure on content creators is well documented. You've just got to produce. So I wonder about the mental health consequences of all of that, but maybe that's because I'm a bit older. I've been no, I think it's, it's valid. Yeah. And it's stuff that we, we see all the time with tech movements get kind of overvalued, don't they, first, and they get, all gets kind of a bit out of whack and a bit crazy, and then we sort of uh, come back to a, a level medium. Related to this, then, uh, is a story that happened this week around one of the biggest esports games, Counter-Strike Global Offensive. If you don't know, it's like a first-person shooter game. It's developed by Valve, who own Steam, the big platform where lots of games live that you can download on PC. Um, so it's massively popular. It's been around for a long time. It has around a, m a million monthly players. As I say, one of the biggest esports titles. And in the game, you can earn or buy weapon skins. So wraps on your guns and that kind of thing. Some are rare and massively valuable and show that you've kind of, uh, you know, you have earned it in the game over a lot of uh, time played. And there is a trading mechanism that already exists. So on the Steam marketplace where you, you kind of buy the games, uh, you can trade these skins that you've earned or bought for Steam wallet funds. So money that you can then put back into buying other games and that kind of thing. However, for a long time, there's been websites that exist where skins and accounts get traded for real money outside of the game it's against the game's rules but it happens they you know you you buy them and then uh, pass over the passwords and, and log in and you've got all these amazing uh, skins and some of them we keep seeing go for hundreds of thousands of dollars the record is four hundred thousand dollars for a skin so this is an item that you cannot touch you cannot hold it just looks kind of dope on your weapon right yeah 400 grand so that's been happening. The, the next chapter of this story, uh, again, this has been going on for a while, but not only is there these trading sites for real money, there's also CSGO gambling websites where you can bet your skins on like different game modes. So on kind of roulette or coin flip or jackpot, these, these like going to Vegas, but for your skins, these are pretty sketchy, these sites, because A, a lot of them don't go through the, yeah, yeah, would you imagine? Don't go through the kind of gambling regulation rules. Obviously, some have been like linked to money laundering. So this week, Valve basically went in, and I love kind of picturing this as like a digital raid with the SWAT team in and uh, banned over 40 of the highest rolling skin traders linked to these kind of unregulated gambling websites, which has resulted in over $2 million worth of CSGO banned skins essentially being removed from the game and turns to virtual dust. If oh, you like. They've done raids before, but this is like the biggest ones. 
And yeah, those people who've earned those skins or have been trading them, whatever, that's big. This is huge money. This is all happening. Like if you're not in this world, and I've got one foot in this world, but I don't play CSGO a lot. But like, it's mental, these things that are just, just happening and people maybe don't know about this. Wild. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? If you come from the Web3 world, it's like, well, it would never happen in the decentralized marketplace. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's like, yeah. Go check out what happens when USDC blacklists your wallet. Like, they have, they have ways of getting you. Um, mm. But yes, this is, this is, well, I mean, if you're an advocate of the Web3 decentralized way of doing things, which we quietly are, by the way, uh, just so you know, then this this strengthens the argument in favor of decentralized ownership of things so that a game like this can't ban you. Obviously, if things are being used for illicit activities, there is no law against gambling, by the way. If you want to piss your money away, that is totally on you. Um, you make your own life choices. Uh, the money laundering side of things, obviously, that is a concern. And uh, we know that the federal agencies are taking a close look at all the different ways that criminals can launder money. But I mean, I think it's very, very clear that there will be at some point a legitimate marketplace for these kinds of assets. We've talked previously about the pressures that will place on younger players and the introduction of market dynamics into, you know, into everything, which casual gamers and, you know, long-time gamers want to resist at all costs because they feel like it devalues the gameplay at the expense of monetization and microtransactions, all these things that have been detrimental, they think, to the the game space in general. It's just kind of part of growing up. It's part of scaling. It's part of the thing. So I'm curious how this all matures in the next few years, but I think it's pretty clear that the case for Web3 is becoming more and more convincing in this Yeah, instance. yeah, that... There is a wave of of like this the demand for selling these things is there so do it in a way where you control it is is it seems to be the way it's going but i i almost do like this model though that you can trade kind of within the game but it's for points which means that anyone who's casually playing you know isn't then suddenly in some sort of market dynamics like we've talked about where you have to you know worry about what the the interest rates are because that's going to crash your assets in a game like that seems way too much for somebody who just wants to casually play a game but then if you really do have something rare, then to kind of flip it, to take it out and flip it on another market and bring it back in seems like not the worst kind of dynamics. And and we've mentioned this all before, but kind of what Nike are doing with, they're selling NFTs with dot swoosh, but they're soul bound. So you can't trade them immediately, but maybe there's another mechanic later. It's interesting. That seems to be slowly coming towards like a, a way of doing things in games that people do want, but it needs to be done the right way. Adi, that's a weird one. Obviously, Nike have been pretty much smashing it of late in the world of NFTs and Web3. And they've done it very clearly. We've seen the, them launch this accessible site, .swoosh, where you can buy digital sneakers. They've done a partnerships with, with EA Games, most recently with Fortnite, where it's a cool experience that you could go and play in Fortnite and kind of uh, earn and link your accounts there. They seem to be, Nike have done it really, really well. Adi, that's, I don't know what you think. For me, I had this first NFT. They started by teaming up with Board Ape Yacht Club, Punks, Comics, and G-Money for this first NFT, which I bought. And then I just got lost. It's so complicated that I've just sort of stepped away from it. So maybe take us through what Adidas are doing and what you think about it. Well, firstly, we've got to shout out G-Money. <clears throat> G-Money is an investor in Based AF. G-Money, we love you. And G-Money now has his own clothing line, 90cc. Yes, this is a shameless shill, but G-Money is a very smart thinker and a very good dude who we'll, we'll cover it again when we talk about Zookeeper um, is 
one of the people who's actually doing things kind of right, I think, in this space. So, yes, as, as you rightly said, there was a, I guess, a kind of confederation of valuable IP or valuable players into this Adidas collection. Now, if you think about Bored Apes and Adidas, it doesn't make any kind of sense now. Um, but it did at the time because Bored Ape was a very different property at that moment in time. So what you could do is you could buy this asset and you could redeem it for, wait for it, physical goods, physical garments. Oh, physical. So this here. is this was the thing. Like You get an NFT and you can redeem it for a shoe or a garment or a tracksuit. And in this case, this tracksuit. Isn't she a beauty? This, for anyone listening, is a almost luminous, uh, yellow, beautiful Adidas It's not almost suit. luminous. It, it is. is highly luminous. It's fluorescent <laughs> yellow. There is no other way light. to describe it. it. You also got an orange beanie with it. So the, the orange beanie was kind of reflecting G-Money's signature orange beanie. The Adidas logo is sideways. I mean, I don't know what the brand police have to say about that, but yes. Mm. Um, How very web-free, so, mixing it so up. So this thing, this thing... This, this thing is hilarious because it, it's a statement. Like you wear that thing top to toe, you are grade A pillock. That's, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's, a, there's two ways to wear it. You can wear it ironically or you can wear it unironically. And in every, every instance that I've ever worn it, it's been highly ironically. But I've turned up to events like NFT Paris and NFT NYC <clears throat> where people have been wearing it unironically as a badge of like, look how cool I am. You can tell by how they walk, how they're wearing. Yeah, they're not. They're not. They're not sure. Like when we like <laughs> you saw, it. we were in we were in Paris and we we owned it because we were very clearly ironic with it because there's no way to wear it unironically and yet people somehow do. And then you 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 turn up to it and everyone's like, look at you go, nice tracksuit, bro. You're like, is it though? Is it a nice tracksuit? Is this for real? What what happens if a naked flame comes too close to it? You're like, uh, yeah. Well, are we all just going to be set alight in an orgy of NFT debauchery? Yeah, it's it's a weird thing. It's a badge that I don't want to be a badge, so I fully put my hands up. I actually love it because you know we have this metaverse rap group called MEAT. It's the perfect garment for them to be wearing because it's exactly the kind of douchebag item. So anyway, th these things got redeemed. The backstory to the Adidas Metaverse project is <clears throat> there was one person on the Adidas team who saw the potential NFTs and really pushed hard to get Adidas into the Metaverse and into this um, this weird way of using NFTs in culture and, and physical goods. <clears throat> but things change and the, the way that that project was set up massively changed. The team behind it, I believe, changed as well. So they pivoted towards this idea of alts. So they completely changed the look and feel of this Adidas into the metaverse thing to a, a kind of sort of pulpy David Lynchian hotel mo motel nightmare called the Rift Valley Motel, which I kind of really dig. Like the the mm. vibe of it is interesting. The the look and feel of it is interesting because they've really committed to this this dirty, dark, weird style that you do not associate with Adidas. So I'm kind of I'm kind of jazzed about that. You, I know you're confused about it. What but is it though? Yeah, yeah. It's basically it's it's a kind of it's, it's a collectible that can work somewhat like a PFP. I mean, the the mechanics behind it are fairly straightforward, but it's basically a journey with chapters in it. So the first chapter was the garments here. The second chapter is these things called alts. Alts are basically an avatar, and there's a vending machine. You get coins. You can put the coins in the vending machine to roll traits. Those traits can then be applied to your alt, and they are you know obviously of varying rarity and then you can re-roll them if you want to as well so it's basically just using 
the kind of mechanics of pop culture, vending machines, disposable, these kind of things. That I, I actually think the the look and feel of it's pretty nice. The visuals they've done are pretty nice. It still feels weird when you see a board ape in 3D. I just don't think they work in 3D. But genuinely, I, I like the commitment to this new phase of it. It's obviously just taking quite a long time for it to, to pan out. And the, the NFT market right now is so firmly in the gutter that it's difficult to see anything as a success unless it has the Nike badge on it. So um, I get why you're confused by it, but I don't yeah. think Have it's... Have Adidas spoken about any way of bringing it into another world? Like we've seen the Nike partnerships with EA Sports. That makes sense. EA Games, um, that we're going to see their stuff in these games. Or with Fortnite, there's an experience you can play. Have Adidas like, spoken about anything that a way to use these things? I'm not, not that I'm aware of. I mean, it, we have to remember that when Nike is embedded in sports culture and moved into music culture. Like Adidas has always had one foot in music culture. Like, you know, you think of the Beastie Boys, um, all sort of, you know, early hip hop was all Adidas. It was just Adidas through and through. So it has this rich cultural history to, to draw on. I suspect it might end up in there where Nike's going in games. I've got my Nike backpack in uh, Fortnite now. Yeah, but yeah, same, yeah. It, it's... Yeah. Um, I, I just I commend them for committing to this this style because it, it stands out. It's interesting. It's sl- somewhat disturbing. I think it's it's got something that draws me in. Whereas the Nike stuff, I'm like, yeah, I've kind of seen this from you guys before. Like, what's mm. new here? In the NFT realm, we should talk about the uh, collection Azuki as well. Now, this Azuki. <laughs> riled me now if you are oh, new to this wait a second space, wait a second i don't get riled the as well. normally unflappable luke franks has got a gripe yeah, he's riled up people when it comes it comes mark your calendar big. this was the day on this day on the day that the beans dropped azuki luke franks was broken forever yeah, yeah. i'm like the quiet one who's, who's slowly just uh, <laughs> boiling just explodes. boiling inside uh, yeah um I, to, to, I don't, I mean, I've followed Azuki. I've been in the NFC space for a long time. They are an anime style collection. They've become one of the sort of in inverted commas blue chips. They, they were a little bit sort of late in that wave, but then really blew up. The art was cool. They uh, have done some mad stuff like sold that golden skateboard for whatever that sold for. They have this cool kind of people who love anime and love that culture. I get it. I sort of get it was cool. I never really dived loads deeper into it. I don't know if you have any more background before we go into what just happened yes uh, or not i can uh, yeah. i can give you the context on this okay. there's there, there are a couple of things here to bear in mind there's so basically the 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 nft space has had these weird steps in like shifts in narrative board apes was obviously the first one but before that we had punks board apes changed the narrative but they changed it thanks to a collection called hash masks weirdly no one's kind of talking about hash masks anymore, but they are pivotal in the story of how Bored Apes came to be. Uh, basically because of the way that the hash marks were auctioned, Bored Apes changed the game and changed the way we did things. Bored Apes obviously blew up. When a lot of projects came along and tried to replicate their success, um, we had Crypto Kongs, which was a crazy community that oh, yeah. you know, basically was seen as this very innovative community, very kind of rarefied owners kind of blew up and then we had doodles doodles came along and was completely different style of art really captured the imagination it was fun it was different it was you know interesting we had pudgy penguins that came along and would had this sort of childish like 
really accessible quality to it. Cool Cats as well had had a similar kind of vibe. Azuki came along, and Azuki did two things, which I know are going to sound just so ridiculous. But the first thing that they did <clears throat> was they came up with an innovative smart contract, which gave them the illusion that they were really good on execution. The second thing they did, wait for it, wait for it. Go on, suspense. I, I'm going to give you this. A bored ape looks at you like this. Side on. And then Azuki is this. Fully side on. Whoa, innovative. That is crazy. So look, but that was a game changer. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but having a face that was fully profile, no one had ever done that before. Now, the other thing is that the website for Azuki was gorgeous. The artwork for Azuki was gorgeous. People fell in love with these things because they felt that they were in the hands of a master team of executioners. And this guy, Zagabond, who was the, he, he was the pseudonymous founder of Azuki, just seemed to just have all the angles covered. And so Azuki became known for flawless execution and for being like the sort of a Asian board ape yacht club with better art. Um, and they had some very wealthy holders. <clears throat> But the thing that they're tapping into is obviously this huge worldwide craze for anime. And so they can tap into the anime style, give people something that they want. <clears throat> it becomes culture, it becomes clothing. They release these uh, varsity jackets. They also release these ridiculously tone-deaf gold skateboards right in the depth of the bear market. I mean, but people still bought these things. That's the backstory. Azuki, known for execution. Azuki, known for doing things that are just wild. They dropped a second collection, which are called these Beans. They had a party in Las Vegas. <clears throat> Zagabon gets on stage and he says, check your motherfucking wallet. Everyone goes, what? Suddenly they have these beans dropped into their wallet. Board Ape Yacht Club dropped apes. They dropped mutants. <clears throat> it was traditional for collections to airdrop a junior version of the OG asset <clears throat> that becomes a new thing that people can sell. It's a way of cheaply adding value to your collection. And... <clears throat> If you're a big collection like Azuki, then you just break in the royalties on these secondary collections, but you haven't actually sold it. You've only airdropped it. Mm. Every single NFT project right now is suffering from the same problem, which is they're running out of money. The royalty tap has been switched off. And so Azuki, in their infinite wisdom, has changed the game by releasing Elementals. And the way they supported Elementals with is a really, really beautiful piece of animation. So they did this crazy trailer. And I recognize this playbook because it's exactly what we did for the base heads drop. We put a lot of energy and effort into creating a trailer that would stand out and make people think about what we were doing and see some really strong execution. They did the same thing with their anime trailer. <clears throat> it looked great. People were lapping this up. This is a 20K collection, the Elementals. It's kind of wrapped up in kabuki of you know the elements, air, fire, wind, water. Um, some new storyline for Azuki. And so 20,000 right now just seems wild. Like when mm. we were doing our drop, most people were saying, I just, yeah, like do 4,000. That's probably enough. We did 10,000 in the end and we sold it out, but we were very focused in the way we did that. 20,000 for me just sounds bananas. On top of what already exists. Yeah, because what you're trying to do is sell these to your existing holders and everyone has been pummeled right now. There is just no liquidity in the market whatsoever, which is why when they managed to sell it out at 
like the pretty much the highest price they could have sold it because it was a it was a Dutch auction, so the price was descending from two ETH down. You know, every five minutes it would drop a certain amount. That's a really old school way of doing things, but what it meant was anybody buying that collection would have a very hard time selling it for a profit. Like usually the the meta is you buy it for a very cheap price, like board apes of point zero eight ETH, and then there's way more upside for holders. And for board apes, they take the benefit of all the royalties that come and all the volume that goes through that. Mm. So obviously if you sell cheap and then it goes up in value, then you hold on to a certain amount of your collection and you can realize the gains that way. Azuki didn't do that. They just sold it expensive right out the gate. And so even earned- for holders, this wasn't an airdrop at all. This was a, you had to go and buy these. Yeah. Separately. So, so yeah. The, the, normally the way these, these drops are structured is you have a certain amount of um, the supply is, reserved for your community and they have right to buy and normally the way you would structure it is you would say you know max two per wallet so you know smart whales who've got lots of these would split between different wallets and then you know increase their service area but that's not what happened here and apparently one whale was able to scoop up like 330 Mm. or so of these and small holders who were hoping to pick these up were unable to do so but the big headline here is that Izuki made 38 million dollars in the space of about 15 minutes and the the artwork of what they dropped the elementals was basically the same as what already existed and even within that collection there were some that were genuinely identical which is so mental like what what are you doing if you are if you have you're about to make that much money your collection who has been in this for a long enough time how have they not how has that even happened i thought and i saw people were like obviously this is like a marketing thing like they've done this on purpose because this is we've seen stuff like this before and it's been slated obviously because people are spending so much money on a thing that has basically diluted the original collection or is exactly the same within it like it's lazy and they were like this is a marketing thing they're going to update it all and everyone's going to be like well that was crazy like well done attention no they just apologized that they got it wrong i was like that's not okay and that is not not good enough at all is it really and also speaks to what we were chatting about with roberto in the previous episode of like what is the business model for these nft collections going forward apart from selling more nfts and that's what he said and he asked that question and like it, yeah it, it, this is another example of like i'm not sure people can answer it at the moment he also said he admired zagabond in uh, and, I, and, yeah. I, and i and I, I questioned it well there's a backstory to him as well right before azuki he released various kind of yeah he's, he's a rugger he's a serial rugger it's not a scammer he's a serial rugger there's there's a difference between rugging and scamming if you rug you basically quit a project halfway through and leave people high and dry um which is which is not great but he's owned up to it and he and he he did do that but that's kind of old news now everyone's kind of forgiven that and the the project didn't suffer for it it's been one of the kind of the most like it's been one of the most well supported projects for a long time and it's because of you know their flawless execution like Yuga Labs for all that you might hate them most of the time they execute very very well and i think that's the reason people uh, enjoy this i mean we're talking about the business model here what what is the business model for azuki this is it they just made $38 million by selling people the same thing they already had. This is what's so insane. So like, there's this kind of common thing in, in crypto of low effort. Like, Low effort's actually a, a virtue in, in many instances where you show something that's so bad, but you don't charge that much money for it. You just kind of give it away as a funny thing. This is genuinely low effort because all they did was they basically used the same algorithm to generate artwork that was pretty much identical and is is very difficult to differentiate from the original OG artwork. 
that's bananas. But yeah, and if you're if you're like the founder on that team, the fact that that got through and like to me that just says okay, they don't they don't care. This is essentially a big rug. Like this was this was a cash grab because how has that got to that point where surely you know what the reaction is going to be? Is people are going to lose trust? It's going to break, and that's going to maybe be the end of it. Like, I don't know how they recover from this really like if i was a holder i'd be out and done wash my hands of them because yeah well there's again there's a couple of things to unpack here as well so we when we released our collection we we put them out and people got mad because the placeholder they had seen was bright and colorful and when when they saw the the new assets the actual revealed ones the backgrounds were kind of brownish and the reason we'd done that was because we wanted the colors of the assets themselves to pop and people hated it. So we were suddenly in this place like, oh, damn, we need to bring in this thing that they liked from the placeholders and now put it into the background. So we did that. And my credit director, Jim, worked like for four days solid, changing the backgrounds and making them actually work. Uh, and then we did that. And then people were like, okay, great. And then they were like, yeah, but these aren't PFPs. We hate you now. So there are, there are degrees to which sometimes you just miss stuff. And like putting together a drop is hard. Putting together the communications is hard. And I believe that it's possible to miss stuff. But in this instance, for nobody to put their hand up and say, listen, guys, are we sure we want to put out 20,000 more that look exactly like the old ones? Are we, are we, <laughs> yes. are we, are we, are we sure about this? No one said anything. And that, that speaks to complacency. Azuki themselves put out a statement which said this. Azuki's vision is to build a decentralized brand. Okay. Doing so requires great communication and execution, both of which were lacking with the elemental sale. We know that we lost Correct. a piece of trust today, but nothing gets us more motivated to make things right. No. Yeah, well, they, they, they yes. state that their goal for <laughs> elementals is to grow the garden, welcome new members into the community, and most importantly, to expand the Izuki universe and set a foundation for a decentralized IP with deep lore. This now is part of the lore. And the other thing there is, Azuki is very expensive. You basically alienate a about 95%, no, probably more, 98% of the potential buyer base for your collection once it goes past an ETH. Those who have it are like, wow, yeah, I've done really well. But fundamentally, if you want to grow a community, if you want to make it accessible, then the only way to really do that is to have an asset that's basically free um, because otherwise it doesn't work. The, the, the economics don't add up. So you're just whatever your stated aim is that by selling it for that much it, it's idiotic it doesn't work and you should know your mm. own community that well so you know it's it's an interesting one i do think the biggest things that the biggest thing that all nft collections have to deal with now and it's easy when you're watching it and you're not in it like i get that it's it was complete experiment in real time but you know when doodles for anyone who doesn't know the other collection we mentioned basically sort of announced they're no longer thinking of it as a, just an nft collection they are putting doodles to out on you know making it way more accessible to the mainstream and everyone hated it and went mad at them it's like that is what needs to happen in my opinion if any of this is gonna survive and make it to a to outside of a small little group who are in it for the money yes mostly really and like uh, it's weird to say that because in the hype days i would have argued a load of other things and i still do like this is still a massive movement and it's still valuable there's ways to look at it you, you know you could say og doodles donna karen and these new collections dkmy i mean there's definitely ways in which you you can segment a brand that way but you have to take a look at yourself i mean what, what are we doing here are we selling rolexes or are we selling coca-cola 
because if, if I'm perfectly honest, like there is way more money to be made in selling Coca-Cola. So if you're a mass consumer brand and you're in this space and you get it right, I think you're going to clean up. The reason we bring up Azuki in this instance is because it's a very cautionary tale for those wishing to kind of move into the NFT space because nothing is ever what you think it is. Um, what's true is that Azuki have smashed it and whatever it is that they may or may not have done, they can get past this because with $38 million in the bank and whatever else they've banked from royalties and everything else, they're in good shape. So well done, Azuki. They, they have done it. They also put out a roadmap January 2022 where they specifically mentioned the metaverse. And for them, Azuki 3D means much more than simply making a 2D avatar 3D. We aim to create an immersive 3D experience when the time is right. Digital drip. If you're on Team Azuki, you'll be dripped out in the metaverse from head to toe. They've delivered none of this. What they have delivered is a collection that is identical to the original. This is a year ago. They've done jack shit. Send it to zero. Uh, we get a lot of crap from people saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? They come in the Discord and they start screaming at us. What are you doing? I'm like, take a look at what we've done in six months. All the things we've delivered, the things we've built in Fortnite, the things we've built in Spatial, the things we've built in Moniverse. Look at all the videos we've made. Look at all the content we've created. Look at all the ideas that we've spawned. Tell me we're not doing anything because the value that we're trying to create is actual real value and it's not extracting value from holders. This shit makes me mad uh, because it's just a kind of gobbledygook, cult-like mass hallucination that there's anything valuable here, really, or at least that valuable. It's just kabuki. So, you know, you, you were saying, like, why, why would people stick around? They stick around because it is a cult. It acts in the same way that any cult does. <clears throat> you go in a Discord and you listen to people who sound like you and talk like you and want to reinforce the same opinions as you, and you cannot see anything else. And you just go, oh, yeah. yeah. But the price of Azuki's dropped by 44%. So, you know, it, it, it hurt everybody doing this except Azuki themselves. You may have seen the success of this game only up. Uh, it's been floating around on Twitter and it's interesting because it sort of hit Steam and it's become really popular in the mainstream world. So these things that we're talking about, how do we kind of break through if you are an NFT collection? Goblin Town are, are branded all over it. Goblin Town were a weird NFT collection that sort of were complete nonsense and people were in, in Twitter spaces just talking as goblins and it was all weird, but it was kind of weird for the sake of being weird and, and uh, it, it got very popular. Goblin Town basically captured the sense of utter degeneracy in the NFT market because the, everything was down and what they did was they just captured that sense of fuck it. It's, you know, this is it's the dark humor of it. And they blew up and they also, they dropped for free and, and they made an absolute killing on, on royalties just before the royalties got killed. And it was such an interesting experiment in just, you know, fair launch, put something out there and put some weird spin and weird culture around it. Like, again, this idea of low effort and it just worked. So everyone thought they were dead. And then they turn up in this massively viral game. And up, only up is like, well, up only is a phrase in crypto, which is like, yeah, it's up only. Uh, and obviously it's down only at the moment, um, but only up, it's a skill-based game. It's very accessible and it's literally just, can you keep going all the way to the top? And then, you know, you've got people doing speed runs. The reason I thought it was interesting was firstly, because Goblin Town was pasted all over the, the branding of this. So a viral game. With Did some, they, is it true that they created the game? Definitely. Is that, or do I don't actually that? know the story behind it. Um, I was actually more interested in what happened next, which was somebody created a version in Fortnite. So suddenly you had the same skill-based thing 
uh, in Fortnite. But obviously, uh, only up is on Steam. I think it costs ten bucks or something like that. So that's how they sell that. Um, the UEFN version, which is like super low effort, really. I mean, it's just like just put one thing on top of another thing, on top of another thing. It's just a perfect example of a of a, of a viral hit that captured something. And the reason it's interesting is because the the way UFN pays out um, players, uh, sorry, creators of islands, is through two separate metrics. That so they have um, the engagement metric and then the returning player metric. So they what Epic is trying to get people to do is either stick around in a game for a really long period of time, or come and like people who haven't played for a while, or people who are not battle royale players, downloading Fortnite and starting to play. And only up accomplished both of those things. And what was f just fascinating was to see the number of concurrent players. Because you, you expect to see like, you know, 100,000 in zero build or like 300,000 in the, you know, the regular battle royale. But I think only up was getting like, in, in European time was like 39, 40,000. And then in, you know, US hours was at the peak, it was going like 90,000. If you look at the graph of, of how much people have been making on UFN since it launched the new Creator Economy 2.0 in March, I think it was, like the top five creators are on course to earn like $10 million plus this year. And I suspect that only up will massively eclipse that if it continues to be popular. It may just even have done that in two months if it continues at this rate. It I wonder if Golden Town would have something to say about that, of who ever created the Fortnite version, if there's big money suddenly involved. Oh, it's, no, there's definitely big money involved. And there's tons of creators building maps, uh, Cypher PKs building maps, Tim the Tapman's building maps. They I mean, they're, they're, they're weaponizing this thing. And because they have the distribution, I'm sure Mike A is, is building a map as well. He's got the record for the speed run on the Fortnite version of Only Up. But it just goes to show, like, it's sometimes timing is everything concepts everything keep it simple and that's yeah. it also it's interesting very quickly that you know we talked about the kind of next sort of shift in entertainment where we had the kind of youtube moment and the viral videos and everybody being able to access and create video for the really the first time and own their channels now we're starting to see games go really viral like small achievable builds that are like viral videos went viral for the first time we're seeing kind of mini games go viral this is the next wave of content that is uh is happening which is interesting isn't it we're going to see more of that 100 percent as the next generation of creators are building probably games um yeah it, it's interesting because it, it's such a great it's such a great concept just up on, it's like jack and the beanstalk you know you just go up mm. and up and up and up and up and there's something very simple and appealing about that but also the fact that you know it's very social as well you can play it, everyone can play it jump in give it a go there's no skill beyond the skill that you have so you're not competing against other people you're just competing against yourself Lots to learn from that. And, you know, they would have made an absolute killing on this, an absolute killing. And it, as it always does, it sends a signal, it brings more people and Epic's master plan, just, just working to a T, you know, this UGC idea, it's just taking care of itself. And as the streamers pile in and, and bring more viewers in, that's the metaverse, baby, right there. Boom. And you should say, yeah, the last video that uh, we put out that uh, you made us all about UEFN and Tim Sweeney, you retweeted it again, which is great. Tim so Sweeney's a, like, he's a fan, yo. Yeah, I love it. I it's mean, good. It's good. you know, I mean, I can, I can retire now. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> we should, we like, uh, can we do it this year? 
Can we get Team yeah, Sweeney on the pod? I think we. I, I think. think this is like achievement unlock time. Let's let's go for it. Let's get him on the, on the pod. Uh, he's let's not speak into possibly the, the best interviewee in the world, but like, damn it, we'll make him cool. Okay, final thing then. Uh, this is just a completely ridiculous story to finish on, but uh, someone has released the Caviar Apple Vision Pro. Oh, not released, but is uh, is it a mock-up or is it have they built this? The oh no, Caviar they haven't Apple built Vision it. Pro. Okay, so so it's not out yet. So, yeah, so okay, it. Vision Pro. We talked about it on the pod luxury item, but there have been instances like there's the there's the thirty grand Apple Watch, right? You know the one? Is it a Hermes? Mm. But you know, like Apple has a tradition of, of making like kind of really high-end super luxury versions of their products and it's quite common for people to bling up their their iphones and stuff caviar basically is a company that does this but like to the max it's the blingest of the blingest of the blingest of the blingest so they'll bling up your iphone they'll stick bullets on it carrot gold bullets on it you know if you want absolutely idiotic you know a phone is a disposable item why you would spend 30 grand on making it I don't know. But anyway, it's it's it is what it is. There is a market for that, obviously. What is hilarious about this is they've done a version of the Apple Vision Pro, which is well, it's eighteen karat gold. There's no other way to say it. And like the, the hilarious thing about this is like if ever there was a product that didn't need to be eighteen karat yeah. gold, it was the Vision Pro headset because the reports are coming out that the thing is very heavy and it's very uncomfortable to wear for more than an hour. And it like, makes Apple it literally to... unusable. Yeah, yeah, it makes it doing this. And and what's <laughs> What's so fun about this is they, they've identified one of the key problems of this product, the, the Vision Pro, is that like, not everybody wants other people to be able to see their eyes inside. So their solution is to put a visor on the front of this thing. Guess what it's made of? Oh, that's right, 18 karat gold that you can flip down. <laughs> what, the, what is the point of this thing? The best part about all of this, the best part of all, is that <laughs> guess how much it adds to the starting price? Um, I can't even imagine tens of thousands of dollars, probably. So starting price of an Apple Vision Pro, three and a half thousand dollars. And what was people's reaction to that starting price? Too expensive. Oh, it's absolutely very absurd. expensive, mate. I wouldn't get one of those. Well, I'm happy to announce that the Apple Vision Pro Caviar Edition will add, well, it says its breathtaking design will add $39,900 to the oh. starting price. It's not $40,000, mind you. You're lucky in that mm. respect. So it adds that to the starting price. Um, and what they say, Caviar has transformed the Apple Vision Pro into a pinnacle of both technology and style. This visionary device. Anyway, that, I mean, yeah, go check it out. It is, it is, it's a thing. It's a thing. Mad. It's no one's, uh, yeah, why? I mean, I guess it's going to turn up in a rap video or something, and then we're like, oh. Yeah, something, that's what exactly yes. what's going to happen, isn't it? Something ridiculous like that. But there we go. It will make some noise and, and uh, get some attention, and, and maybe. Hopefully. It is. We'll uh, get people talking. But yeah, there we go. Uh, all right. Anything else to add from based this week? I know there's a video coming, which um, is maybe my favorite potentially of all. Oh, yes. Uh, that is on the way. We can't talk about it. We can't talk about it. We're those, um, we're those people who say, say something and they yes. can't talk about it. But yeah. Well, if anyone's listening, if anyone's listening, we are, we've built a, a level in UEFN for a famous YouTuber and uh, we can't reach him. <laughs> Because uh, we can't publish this without his permission because it's his hype and, and, and Epic Games won't let us. So we're trying to reach out to this YouTuber at the moment and um, and find out whether they would be up for having a conversation. And to do that, we shot a video in our mocap studio 
that explains what we've done, but from within our UEFN build. It's like the coolest thing we've ever done. It's always been my vision to try and do that, to be able to be like a virtual tour guide and walk around a space. And I'm not just walking around the space. I can actually interact with the space. I can walk through doors. I can sit down on chairs. I can, I can pick things up. And it's like, it's so cool. It's like the, the, the refined, grown-up version of the thing I've always wanted to do in the mocap volume. And we, we can't get through to this guy. So if anybody uh, would like to offer up their services in connecting us to a, a famous YouTuber who, 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 might be, who, who might be, who might have reviewed the Vision Pro and might be something to do with technology, hit us up. We could use your help. Uh, but there you go. Yes. So, so that's what you've seen it and, and it was, yeah, it, it, it's pretty yeah, cool, right? It's, it's very cool. Yeah. It's a sort of next genre of entertainment really. And you, it's good to see it because then you go, boom, this is what the, what could happen, what can be done. And it's limitless and it's cool and it works really well. And it's, it's uh, fun. Uh, yeah. So I look forward to people seeing that and uh, yeah, that'll be very soon. I'm sure. There was that's a lot of probably, money in this episode. Well, Did you notice that? We're just talking about the, the, the bada bada bing for most of it. Yeah. Yeah. That'll happen it's sometimes. Like, that'll happen. It'll happen. All right, man. There we go. I think that was the pod. I think that was the pod. See you on the next one. Peace. Peace.